Good morning, everyone. Uh, today's Bible reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, and I'll be reading verses 9 to 11. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's better. Good morning. How are you, church? Uh, my name's Stuart Peeper. Um, I'm a regional consultant with Queensland Baptist, and it's my privilege to be here to share with you this morning. Uh, thank you, Pastor Darrell, for your kind invitation to uh, come and uh, speak to you this morning, bring you a message. Um, he, is this Pastor Darrell's Bible? It's, it's thick enough. Here's, I'll put that on the side. Very nice, thank you. Uh, I bring you greetings on behalf of Queensland Baptist. Uh, Sunnybank Baptist is part of a family of Baptist churches, uh, 220 or so uh, fellowship and churches that make up Queensland Baptist, are part of the family you belong to. Um, this morning I want to talk to you uh, about Christmas, seeing it is Christmas, uh, probably a very topical time of the year. Who enjoys getting gifts here? Who doesn't enjoy getting gifts? There's always one or two. Yes, a couple of back there. That's all right. Um, I uh, have some gifts here that I've been given over time that haven't been particularly useful. Uh, this is one of them. It's a, a, a cordless speaker. And you might think that's amazing uh, being cordless, but it's actually not Bluetooth. Uh, the idea behind this gadget is that you put your phone on it and the vibrations uh, picked up by the speaker and amplified and you might go that's amazing wow it sounds terrible <laughs> you may as well use a jam tin I think hardly ever use it this little gadget here talking about useless presents uh, this is a coffee holder so if you trot down to your local coffee shop with, and you order coffees for your office staff we get it right in a minute oh you need a degree to work the thing here we go there we go. And the idea is that you can carry four takeaway coffees at once. It's amazing. I've never used it. In fact, I give it to my uh, three-year-old granddaughter and she plays with it. But, you know, that's, that's a gift. Uh, it's a bit useless. This one here is particularly useless as a gift. It's called the iProp. It's a little fan that goes in the end of your iPhone like that. And uh, it's actually not working. But the idea is that it blows cool air on you. But I tell you, it, it's not very effective. It's another useless gift. But, you know, the one that, that tops it all off for me in terms of useless gifts is this one. <laughs> a hairbrush. I've, I've turned it into a beard brush because I haven't got any hair. And the hair that's on there is definitely not mine. So, you know... When you get a gift, you expect something that's useful and good, yes? Like, you want something that's practical, and, and you expect the person who gives it to you to have a bit of thought 
uh, about what it is that they're giving you. Well, I want to tell you that um, God is someone who gives good gifts. And here's, actually, here's a gift for those that said they wanted nothing or for the person who has everything, the empty box. God is someone who gives good gifts. In fact, he's given us the greatest gift ever. It says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, that the angel said to them, the angel of the Lord talking to the shepherds, don't be afraid, I bring you good news that will be the cause for great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Messiah the Lord. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, the saviour is born to you. He's born to you. Another way of saying that is, is, is saying that he's a gift. Uh, we get this same sense from John 3.16, which many of us would be familiar with. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God is a giving God, yes? God is someone who knows how to good, give good gifts. And he's given us the good gift of his son. God gives us everything we need for life in the physical. So he gives us fresh air. He gives us sunshine. He gives us rain. The scriptures tell us he brings forth food from the ground for us. Just as in the physical, so in the spiritual, God gives us all we need for life and godliness. God gives us all we need for physical sustenance, but also for spiritual sustaining. And that comes through the Lord Jesus, who's the bread of life, who's the water of life. He's the fundamentals of life in the spirit, in, our, in the non-material part of us. And that is the good gift that God has given to us. God is a gracious and generous father who loves us. He loves you. And he wants a relationship with you. He's given you a good gift of Jesus. But imagine if I, get, I made, I bought a good gift for one of my children and I had their name on it, it was under the tree, and I said, there's your gift right there. And they went, yeah, that's lovely, and they left it there. They didn't ever open it. They didn't ever receive it. How do you think that would make me feel? I think I would be offended. If I'd gone to all this trouble, if I'd spent all this money on a gift only to have it rejected, I'd be offended. How do you think God feels when he puts his son out there and says, given for you, God, I love you so much that I've given my only son my very best. And when people reject Jesus, God's good gift, I'm sure that grieves his heart. So we need to respond to God's good gift and accept Jesus. But then when we do that, when we think about the gift that God's given us and how we might receive that and be very grateful for that, we need to ask ourselves a question, what presents does Jesus get? I mean, it's Christmas isn't Christmas a celebration of Jesus' birth, yes? It's, it's a time when we remember his coming and God's good gift to us. Now we know that it, the 25th of December is probably definitely not the date that Jesus was actually born, but it's the date we set, set aside and is, is universally acknowledged as a time when we celebrate the coming of Jesus. I think it's a bit of a side issue that it's not the exact date. We don't know when that is. And so in the absence of knowing that, we celebrate this day. And you think about it, if you have a birthday and you have a birthday party, and you invite people along to your party, imagine what it would be like if they all had gifts for each other, but none for you. How would that make you feel? And you say, it's my birthday. 
where's my gifts? Am I not the one who's supposed to be honoured here? So imagine how Jesus feels when he doesn't get anything for his birthday. Think about that for a minute. What could Jesus possibly want for his birthday? Well, the Magi, I think, had the right idea. They're also known as the wise men. It says this in, in Matthew, it's up on the screen there. It says this, On coming to the house, they saw the child, Jesus, with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened up their treasures and presented him with gold, gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Now, these Magi were, were a mysterious bunch. Some call them kingmakers. They were uh, astrologers or astronomers uh, from the east, which probably meant Persia. They probably had some influence from Daniel, who was, uh, you might recall, uh, back in that country in exile. And they actually real realised that they had a revelation from God about something special that was happening in Bethlehem. Well, actually in Israel. The birth of a saviour, of a king. God had revealed that to them through the means that they had. God's very gracious in that way. And they brought him gifts gold frankincense and myrrh now these gifts are all symbolic of of the ministry of jesus and somewhat prophetic it's, it's said that the gold uh, represents jesus uh, kingship the frankincense re represented his priestly duties and the myrrh was an embalming ointment signifying his death and so right at the beginning god had the end in sight but we have these these wise men and uh, that history tells us uh, that um well Tradition tells us that there was three of them because of the three gifts. But that's a bit silly because if you imagine travelling through first century Palestine where there's robbers and bandits and there's only three guys with all this treasure, they're sitting ducks, unless they were ninjas or something. It's more than likely that they had an entourage of up to 200 soldiers with them. So this is a serious delegation, an international delegation, and they come and they pay homage to a baby. They worship this baby, but they don't just worship the baby. They don't just say words and nice things about the baby. They have tangible gifts which speak to the significance of who this baby is. And so the Magi brought something tangible. And we, this morning, we would, we would think about Jesus and what he might want for his birthday. And we might straight away think, well, he deserves our worship. And you'd be right. He does. He deserves our worship. But the Magi had tangible gifts. So what's the tangible gift that we could bring that is a way of worshipping Jesus? And you might ask the question, what can you give the one who's got everything? Well, I think the Apostle Paul can give us some clues here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where it says this, Because of God's great mercy to us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. This is true worship that you should offer. That passage, uh, the Apostle Paul there, talks about because of God's great mercy. So what's gone on before that is he's talking about all that God's done for us, the gifts that God has given us through Jesus. And because of that, because of what God's done, we would worship. We respond. God's always the instigator and we're the responder. This passage gives us an understanding of what an act of worship might be. And offer something but what can we possibly give God talk about difficult to buy for for Christmas 
Have you got any relatives like that? You just don't know what to get them. My dad's like that. He's retired and very comfortable. And if he wants something, he just goes and gets it. And I'm always asking my mum, whether it's his birthday or Christmas, what can I get dad? And she goes, I don't know. Often it's just a Bunnings voucher, you know. What, what, what man doesn't want to go to Bunnings? You know, it's like, ooh, Bunnings, so wonderful. So many aisles of things and stuff, all blokey stuff. But I, he's hard to buy for. So imagine the one who's self-sufficient, the one who's in perfect unity and harmony with himself, the one who created things by the power of his word, the one who is all-knowing, all-powerful and all-present. What could you possibly get that person? What could you get Jesus that he could possibly want? When he is, he, is, he is God outside of time and space. What could you get him? Well, he deserves our worship. That's definitely something we can do. But not, not in a sense of carrying up favour with him. God doesn't want us to uh, feel that we've got to somehow do things to get in favour with him. He's done that through Jesus. All we've got to do is accept that gift. But in response, how do we show our gratitude? How can we show our gratitude? Imagine my children buying me presents for Christmas, thinking that if they do that, I'll think better of them. If they buy, just buy me the right gift, then perhaps I'll, I'll be a better dad to them. Or if they don't buy the right thing, that I might somehow cut them out of the family will and not have anything to do with them. I'd be a really bad dad if I did that. God's not like that. God, you can't add to what God's done. He's, he's perfected salvation through Jesus. When Jesus said it is finished, he meant it, it is, was and has and will be completed. You can't add to that. You can't subtract from that. And so whatever we give God is not something by which we can say, God, uh, I'll give you this gift if you give me something back. He's already given it to us. When we give stuff to God, it's out of gratitude. It should be out of a heartfelt gratitude. Because of the relationship we have with him through Jesus. One that we can't add to, but one that we can enjoy. One he calls us to enjoy, to love him and as he loves us and love him back. God wants us something from us that he doesn't have unless we give it to him. And that's ourselves. The Apostle Paul there says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Not a dead one. The problem with living sacrifices is they tend to wiggle off the altar, don't they? And so it's not something, I think that offer is something that's continuous. You don't just do it once, that'd be a, probably a dead sacrifice then, wouldn't it? But a living sacrifice is one that's constant and in the now. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. This is the only reasonable thing, the Apostle Paul says, that we can do in response to all that God has done for us. It's the true worship. It's the gift that God's looking for. It's the gift that Jesus would love on his birthday for us to offer ourselves back. We can give him ourselves. What does that mean practically? Well, I think Jesus' words in Mark can help us with this. He says this in Mark 12:30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. I want to spend a few minutes unpacking that. Uh, Pastor Rick Warren said this part well when he said this, that 
Jesus tells us to love God in three ways. Thoughtfully, with our minds. Love the Lord your God with all your mind. God wants us to think about him. To worship him intelligently and thoughtfully. Secondly, to love him passionately with our heart and our soul. God loves us passionately. He calls us to respond to that with equal passion, with affection. And then finally, practically, with all your strength, worshipping with our abilities, with all God's given us to give it back to him. So although God is totally self-sufficient, he's the creator of the universe and all we see, there's something he doesn't have unless we give it to him. Have you ever thought about that? God doesn't take things from us, but he invites us to give as he's given freely to us. There are three things God doesn't have unless we give them to him. That's our attention, loving him with our mind, our affection, loving him with our heart and soul, and our abilities, loving him with our strength. And so when we come and, and approach Christmas and think about the Lord Jesus, his birthday, what is the best gift I can give him? It's offering myself back to him. Because at the end of the day, that's the most valuable thing that he's given me. Isn't eternal life of infinite value? It's eternal. doesn't have an end. And, and, and we can think about it in the sense of both quality and quantity. It's quant quantitatively, eternal life has no end. That's a life everlasting, which we can't comprehend because we, we're bound up in time and space at the moment. So, you know, I, I can look back at my life and see where it's come and see where I'm going to. I'm here now and it's tracking on. But eternity is mind-boggling. It's a quantity, but it's also a quality of life. It's eternally good. That's the gift that he's given us through faith in Jesus. Is that a good gift? I see a nodding of the head. Yeah, it's pretty good. I tell you, it's better than this. A bit more useful. Better than a comb, brush for a bald man. God gives good gifts. And he's given us this one. And, and he's given us this eternal life. And the best thing I can do is give him back what he's given me. Friends, this is what the heart of the living sacrifice is about. It's an ongoing giving, an ongoing receiving and giving. So let's unpack this for a minute, these three directions, thoughtfully, passionately, practically. First of all, what does it mean to give God, Jesus a good present at Christmas? Give him myself. Well, perhaps it starts with this, giving God my attention, loving him with my mind. And just turn to the person next to you and say, are you paying attention? Are you paying attention? Give God your attention and give it to me for a few more minutes if I can be so bold. Give God your attention. Do, who remembers when they fell in love? Oh, it's a while back. Oh, no, sorry, you're still there. Deep, deep passionate love. They were in the first service, so they, he knows what to say now. He's wooing Rhonda all over again. When you're in love, when, you, when you're smitten by someone, you think about them all the time, don't you? Well, I did. You know, it's, it, you become distracted and you start to do silly things sometimes. You know, um, when uh, my wife, Teresa, couldn't be here today and she sends her apologies, but 
We've been married 29 years and we started off as a high school romance and uh, we went to the same high school together, grew up in the same church, but we went to, went to high school on different buses. And so uh, my bus went on one particular road and from my house I could see where Teresa's bus went. And when I started to get interested in her, I wanted to get her attention because I was just thinking about her all the time. And I was on a pupil-free day and I remember that day particularly, I was waiting at the fence for her bus to come past. Now, it was a kilometre and a half away. You know, you could just see this thing creeping up. It looked like a matchbox car. It was that far away. But I didn't care. I got up on the fence when I saw the bus and I started waving a broom. <laughs> and I think back and think, what an idiot. And, and the next day I saw her at school. I said, did you see me waving a broom? And she said, no, nah, what'd you do that for? <laughs> I really don't know now. But... I, I felt a little bit crazy because I was feeling feelings and she had my attention. God wants our attention in the same way. You see, our culture is focused on anything but God. Our culture is focused on God's substitutes, in fact. Materialism, fun, experiences, relaxation, leisure, all fill our minds. And we're bombarded constantly with these messages about how to be fulfilled and the things that we should be thinking about and doing. And electronic messages are coming to us all the time. And God says, I want your attention. We've got to refocus our attention on God. That's one of the best presents we can give Jesus is to spend the best part of our day thinking about him. And in fact, every part of our day when we get into the habit, it says this in Matthew chapter 6, something very practical. But when you go in, uh, you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your father who's unseen, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What Jesus is saying there is you've got to give God your attention and get away from the distractions. If you're a morning person, that, that your best part of the day would be in the morning to give God some time in the morning just to give him your full attention. If you're an evening person, then in the, in the evening, spend some time with God, just give him your attention, turn the television off, get, get away by yourself, wherever that is in, in your space, and just say, God, here I am. I just want to focus on you. I want to, I want to rejig my day. And I want you to be at the best part of it. It's a very practical thing. Spending time with God should be our priority. Not as a sense of ceremony or getting the right words or, or feeling that um, you know, we've got to come with the right formula to God. He's a God of relationship. He knows your heart. He just wants you to be you and just to hang out with him. So the first way we can uh, love Jesus and give him good presence is by giving him our attention, love him with our mind. The second one is give him our affection. That is loving him with our heart and soul. Once again, remember that the person that you love, that special person in your life. Remember the first time you said, I love you to them. You remember that time? The first time you, you told someone that you love them other than your mother. All right. Do you have sweaty palms? Butterflies in the stomach. I did. And when I think back of that, that's a bit irrational. It's a bit silly. But what was behind that was the fear of rejection. Imagine telling someone you loved them and they just laughed at you. Or you tell someone you love you and they're going, they call you a loser. That's, a, that's some serious rejection. You're putting yourself out there, declaring your feeling for someone. is a big risk. 
But you know what? There's no risk in telling God we love him because he's already told us that he does. So when I first became interested in my wife, I checked things out with her friends first. I said, is she interested? Is there any hope? You know, and they, they were very encouraging. I wasn't quite sure whether they wanted to see me crash and burn or not, but I took the risk and it worked out just fine. But with God, he's already shown us that he loves us. In fact, it says this, we love him because he first loved us. In 1 John 4:19, we love him because he first loved us. God has taken the risk. God has put himself out there with his son. And the risk is as many people will reject Jesus. Once again, that gift, the greatest gift of all, God's put himself out there. And the possibility of rejection is real. But I pray not so with this audience, that you've said yes to Jesus. You see, God wants your love. He doesn't want us doing empty rituals. He, he doesn't so much. He wants our time more than our money. Listen to what the prophet Hosea says in verse, chapter 6, verse 6 of Hosea in the Living Bible. It says this, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. God's a God of relationship and he wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want rituals. He doesn't want formulas. He wants the real us. He wants our affection. God is passionate about you. Why don't you turn to the person next to you? God is passionate about you. Tell them that. God is passionate. God's a loving God. He's a God of, He's the one who created us with emotions. Yes? God's not a robot. And He doesn't want us to be robots. Imagine it's a Valentine's Day. And I have flowers for my wife, which is real. I do do that. But imagine if I walked up to her and said, I'm rationalising Valentine's Day. It's Valentine's Day. That's the first point. The second point is, I'm your husband. And the third point is that husbands give flowers on Valentine's Day. So accept my presentation. Do you think that she'd go all weak at the knees and gooey? I'd probably get slapped with those flowers and not talk to you for the rest of the day. What's wrong with that? It's all true. I don't understand. It's all true. It's all rational. But there's no heart in it. There's no passion. You know, I love my wife passionately. You know, she, I love her so much that words can't express it. And sometimes it just, you just need to cry because you in so much love, you know been a while you know maybe sometimes I cry because I'm in trouble and sometimes we fight but you're only fighting because you really care about the situation and you end up making up because you love each other so much God wants that for us in the way we re relate to him and one of the ways that we can show that we love God not out of a sense of duty but out of a heartfelt passion is to love each other in the same way you know, quite often we just, we just we come to church and we, we think, well, this is about you and me, God. You know, and, and I'm enjoying your love and I'm worshipping you and, and we're having a great time. But you're not relating rightly to your brothers and sisters next to you. You know, the Apostle John uh, in his epistle said that if you, if you don't love and forgive your brothers who you see, then God 
love's not in you. And so it's not just about the vertical relationship, it's about the horizontal ones as well. Loving each other. In fact, Jesus said these words in Matthew 25, verse 40, the king will reply, tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So in loving each other, we're actually giving Jesus a wonderful present. But we're loving him. For he's present in each of us by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, for Christmas, would love our feeling, would love our love, would love us to love him with our affection. He wants us to love him with our attention. He wants us to love him with our affection. And finally, he wants us to love him with our abilities. One writer puts it this way, God wants us to see him with our minds, to sense him with our hearts and soul and serve him with our strength. Love needs a practical expression. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Imagine, once again, oh, I love for my wife if I only ever talked about loving her and never did anything to prove it. That actually happened early on in our marriage. I, I uh, was a bit of a slob and I thought it was wonderful that we had our own house together and I had someone like my mother who didn't nag me but cleaned up after me. And so I had this mess all through the house. I'd, I'd come home from work and start undressing on the way to the bedroom and leave a trail of clothes and then come back out with new clothes. And I thought it was wonderful. I'd just kick stuff out of the road. Mum will fix that up. And my wife did that for about a week and then she went, no, no, I didn't sign up for this. And so she started not putting things away, started not doing laundry, not tidying up. And I said to her, where's my so-and-so one day? Where's my shirt or where's this? And she said, I don't know, you'll have to check the piles. And then we're, oh, okay, so you're not going to clean up my mess? She said, no, I'm not your mother, I'm your wife. Oh, okay. And she wasn't feeling the love because in her love language is tidiness is the way of showing love. So I had to start to learn to be tidy. I didn't like it because it's not natural for me. But I did it because I love her. It was a practical thing. Friends, find out what God likes and do that. Find out what he likes. Do that. Very practical. Talk is cheap. You've got to back up that talk with action. If we tell God we love him, we need to show it some way through some acts of service. Once again, not to curry favour with him, but out of an act of worship as a living sacrifice for all a response to all he's done for you. It says this in Colossians 3.20. There it is. It says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters. What that's saying is that we deceive ourselves a bit thinking that we're working for a human boss only when we go to work. See, it's wonderful to come and serve God in church and worship and give our offerings and celebrate communion and pray together and sing together and fellowship. That's all good and right and proper. But that's only one day of the week. That's only one fraction of your life. God wants the whole of our life, not just Sunday. He wants Monday to Saturday as well. He wants us to live it for him. And so even the people we work for, ultimately we're still working for Jesus. That should be our mindset. 
And our work then should be a service of gratitude and offering, not of compulsion and necessity. It begins with a, a mind shift of how we view life. That if we live the whole of our life out before God, then we're responsible for him and to him. And the whole of our life then can be an offering. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 in the message. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around and place it before God as an offering. To the life of worship doesn't happen primarily in church service. It does happen there, but that's only part of our time, part of our life, part of the hours we have. The rubber meets the road in the ordinary day-to-day of our life. That's when we can also be living sacrifices. In fact, that's where we have most opportunity to give God our affection, to give him our attention and to give him our abilities. So this Christmas, as you reflect upon God's gift to you of Jesus, you might like to ask yourself, what are you offering him back in response? What's your living sacrifice look like? What are you worshipping? What holds your attention? What are you passionate about and what are you putting your abilities into? If, if it's job or money or cars or retirement or, or pleasure or something else, then it's a God substitute. The Bible calls those things idols and it says it's a great sin to worship something other than God. What will you give Jesus this Christmas? Don't give him useless gifts, tokens. Give him your best. Give him your life. Give him yourself. For that's what he really wants. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you didn't hold back for us. You gave your all. And we are, we are grateful recipients of all you've done for us. And Father, we're sorry for the times when we've held back, for the times when we have not been living sacrifices, the times when we've put our attention and affection and abilities into other things other than you. And so, Lord, we repent of that this morning and come and commit ourselves afresh to you. We pray, Lord, that you'd show us each what it means to be a living sacrifice in our context. And, Lord, give us a heart that just longs to please you. Lord, as, as a son or a daughter wants to please their father, not to try and curry favour, but as a sense of gratitude for all you've done for us. Lord, when we do that, we know, we know that we're sowing into eternity. We know that you're pleased. And so we thank you for what you're going to do in us and through us as we offer ourselves now in Jesus' name. Amen.